Welcome everybody to TechLord Talks 12. It's been a good while and so today we just want to come back and kind of talk a little privacy, talk a little security, get everyone back on the same page. Uh, we just want to push some content out for all of you so you all can all engage with some stuff because it's been a while and also Jonah and I probably should catch up on some things as well. And so I have some stories to go through and I'm sure Jonah has some things that are going to come up as well. If he wants to pull up any stories along the way, uh, we still have been keeping up with things here and there throughout the last month or two, um, but we just haven't been able to formally get in front of each other and talk about it. So yeah, we just need to catch up. And so welcome to our little catch up. How you been? Been doing good. We've done a lot of live streams lately, a lot of answering questions and not a lot of uh, looking at the news. <laughs> right. Yeah. The news and just like talking things like casually between ourselves. Well, to start on my end, I've actually been pretty happy with three stories in particular, which all to me are revolve around the same theme. Um, so the first one is in Arkansas, uh, a judge blocked a law requiring parental okay for minors to create social media accounts. Pretty much they were trying to make it so uh, minors would have to go through parents or have some kind of KYC before they open social media accounts and they needed approval. That's been blocked at least temporarily. Over in Texas, uh, there was a law requiring age verification on porn sites, which was ruled unconstitutional as well by, I believe, a judge. And I believe that was also temporarily blocked. And then over in Australia, uh, they will also not force adult websites to bring in age verification due to privacy and security concerns. And that was actually from the federal government, not just a random state judge. And so for me, those were like three big wins. Like we saw three people at least somewhat moving in the right direction on the privacy side of things. So I don't know if you saw those stories and if you had any insight on those. Absolutely, that is super cool. Um, it's especially good to hear that happening in countries like Australia because they haven't had the best privacy track record with their encryption laws and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of good stuff. I mean, the social media thing from a certain perspective, you know, it's it's not great that kids are <laughs> using social media in the first place um, from that privacy perspective. But as far as like giving the government and uh, maybe your parents insight into all the stuff that you're doing online, like you probably want to avoid that. So that's a big win for sure. Right. I'm with you completely. I will say actually, um, I don't know how much they meant it, but it was kind of cool because someone quoted in this article that here it is, here it is. Here's the quote about the social media one. Age gating social media platforms for adults and minors does not appear to be an effective approach when in reality, it is the content on particular platforms that is driving the state's true concerns. Which, I, I don't know how much they mean that, but I loved that take, because it's true. Like, um, And I recorded surveillance report yesterday with Nate. We don't talk about how social media impacts adults, too. And so um, I think it's great that we focus on children and protecting children, and we have that focus in our society, but we almost never talk about adults and how social media has all these harmful effects for adults either. And in reality, if we fix those harmful effects for humans in general, it'll equally apply to both children and adults. So Absolutely. I like that. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely like a more holistic approach that we could be taking to solving like the problems that social media is creating in our society. That's not just like, <laughs> let's block a certain group of people from using it. Yeah, <laughs> or let's just block TikTok specifically. <laughs> right, like, and that's it's not, not addressing the problems. Right. Like, it's really, I mean, that's, so Europe, the reason why so many, so much progress is being made right now on a lot of things is because of Europe, the Digital Services Act, which it's very simple. We're 
mandating certain requirements universally for these big tech companies. It's not targeted towards a demographic. It's not targeted towards a certain company. It's just we're going to give people more rights individually if you're a citizen. Am I crazy? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird how some of these laws, like, get a lot of pushback, um, especially because, like, a lot of them are just giving rights to consumers. Like, I don't... It seems like a lot of people want to turn that down. <laughs> but more rights is never a bad thing, I would say. <laughs> Why do you think people turn it down? Uh, it must just be some kind of marketing. I think a lot of people don't realize that the problem... Like, if they don't personally have a problem with social media, for example, it's hard for them to imagine um, like what those problems might be. And so they don't want to any change from the status quo might be seen as some sort of attack. But in reality, like all of these laws are just going to make these services better for people and more interoperable and more privacy respecting and more et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, they all seem to have a positive impact. So I'm happy to see stuff like that happen. Right. It reminds me, I have a friend and I don't think they listen to this, so it's no big deal, but if they do, it's okay. I still like you as a friend, but uh, they are like a hardcore TikTok user, hardcore, like all day on TikTok. They're, they're proud of it. And I'm obviously very anti-social media and I talk about it a lot around my friends and they say, well, if I like it and it brings me happiness, like why, why does it matter? And I think for them, they don't understand the scope of the issue. Like, sure, they might. First, I don't think it brings them happiness. I think that that's an illusion. And I think that there are other things in life that could probably bring them more happiness. Um, that's not on TikTok. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe TikTok is what makes them happy. But either way, whether or not you like the platform or not, there is this huge hidden dark side that we can completely ignore or we can talk about that is impacting maybe not you individually, though I would argue it is. Um, it's impacting society as a whole. So this is one of those issues that goes beyond the individual as well. I think it impacts the individual, but it also impacts society, democracy, and uh, any kind of forward movement. Um, you Have you read uh, Stolen Focus? I have not read that. Is it good? It's really good. Uh, I'd say, I mean, it has a lot of themes, but like I'd say the one of the core central themes is we can't deal with any major worldwide issue if we're distracted all the time and can't focus on issues, which is how the world is today. Something huge happens. People are outraged for three days and they move on because people can't even focus on issues anymore because we're all just constantly distracted by everything going on around us all the time because of this culture that's been developed through social media and the internet in general. And so I would tie our inability to focus to really every issue, privacy, human rights, animal rights, environmentalism like whatever your cause is like it's an issue i just felt like ranting there it's <laughs> just a big <laughs> rant yeah it's i think it's easy it's harder for people to double down on the causes they care about i feel like nowadays because there's so many like causes and issues that are constantly being presented to you so that makes a lot of sense like it just i i think that like constant access to information definitely makes everything seem much worse than it is, right? That's a big problem. Definitely. Especially when you're getting fed, like, global information, because there's always something bad right. going on somewhere around the world yeah. that's not relevant to you sometimes. But everything seems irrelevant when it's right in your face, right? Yeah. More relevant than it really is. 
Agreed. Did you see, um, actually I wanted to ask you a little bit about this, mainly because you might know a little bit more about um, how Google Chrome works, but did you see how Google is going in and removing pirate URLs from users' saved links? I didn't see that. Um, I'd have to look at that. And they were actively going in, and if something received a DMCA request in the Google search results, they also removed it from users' private saved links collection as well. Like Google search engine. Because I know if you Google something on like their website, you can click the little three dots next to the search result, and you can save that search result. Maybe you're right. Which is, is the which is entirely server-side. So then it makes more sense on their end if, it's, if they're removing it from like your account's saved links in Google rather than like your Chrome bookmarks, which are like privately synced. I feel that like, makes uh, more sense. yeah, I think that those saved links are not, <laughs> not something that's protected with like end to end encryption or anything like that. It's not something locally saved. I think it's, um, something on your account that you can save. Um, that makes more sense. So then that would, I could, I could see why that would be impacted. It is, weird <laughs> that they would do that <laughs> to me this is just a reminder that like things that you mark as private on a cloud service are not <laughs> are not genuinely private you need to be right. saving things locally you need to like encrypt your backups so you so like people don't have insight into them unless you specifically give them access to that information just using like a cloud this is like a glorified cloud bookmark service from google it seems like and i wouldn't rely on that for saving information that you actually care about. That's a big problem, I feel like, with a lot of cloud services. Like, I feel like lately we see this more and more where they just delete things or they go down. It's like really becoming more and more obvious that all of these platforms are not long-term stores of data, right? Like, the, he, your data is going to last on their platform as long as they feel like it should <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. And even if they keep the service up, I mean, we see this tactic all the time where they release brand new features or brand new services that aren't actually long term sustainable with the business models they release them with just to get people on board. So Google did this with Google Photos. They released Google Photos free unlimited storage. <laughs> Why not join it? If you don't join it, you're stupid pretty much because it's such an enticing offer. You join it. You get on it, you're on it for five years, and then boom, they're like, oh yeah, we're not gonna do that anymore, by the way. So now we're gonna make you pay after you moved all your photos to us, and you know we're gonna make it more challenging for you to leave the platform as well. So we see this all the time, especially with companies like Google, which just drop services all the time. And I think this is why Google struggles to release anything new nowadays. You mentioned this once, where it's like, <laughs> it's like this double-edged sword that like, yeah. Yeah, you can I mean, explain I mean, it Google, yeah, you just, you just can't trust anything that Google launches nowadays because you know <laughs> that they're going to cancel it. <laughs> and I if they're being serious, no one joins it and they cancel it anyway because that's just their right. history. <laughs> I can't think of a single service that they've launched recently that, like, has stuck around in the long term. Right. You just have to go to the, what's that website called? Like, Killed by Google or something? <laughs> I've seen that site. It's so funny. I guess on a similar note, everyone knows we're huge fans of Debian, as you all <laughs> really liked from that oh, most yeah. popular Techler clips. Uh, Debian <laughs> turns 30, so if you do want something reliable and it's going to stay for a long time, uh, Debian's nice. 
there for you. <laughs> That's a long time. Not as long, I think, as I thought in my head, though. That means I didn't think they were 93. around in the early 90s. I, I, I was not aware that that was how old they are. Hmm. But now I'm also, like, not... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible. <laughs> the target demographic and the, the type of people we see who really, really love Debian tend to be the older crowd. And so that makes a little bit more sense now because I feel like a lot of the people who got into Debian were probably our age when they got into it. And that's probably been something that they stuck around with or maybe even older than ourselves. And so I think that might be why Debian in just my observation tends to attract kind of a more traditional Linux community. Yeah, I guess I guess the timeline makes sense. I Because I was just confused because Debian is like one of the oldest, if not, I think it's one of the two oldest Linux distros out there that are still around at least. Um, and I kind of thought that it had been around a little longer than the early 90s, but I don't know. I don't keep track of that kind of thing, so. I saw you posted your uh, punked phone video finally. <laughs> I feel like yes. we, we've been talking about that behind the scenes for like a year, I feel like. When did you yeah. get that phone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's It's been a while, and I don't think it's been quite a year, but it's been like, I think like nine months or something. Maybe it has been close to a year. I don't know the official timeline, but it has been a long time. Um, Honestly, there was just so many hookups along the way. Like I, I said in the review, like the day I got it, I couldn't set it up because Pigeon wasn't working, which is the signal client. And then it was working a week later, but then I didn't have a SIM card that was compatible with it. And so I kind of just put it off. And then finally I got a SIM card that was compatible with it so I could test things out. But then I was like, ah, oh, this is just like not really working for my workflow. And I wanted to try to find a workflow that worked for it. And yeah, eventually I finally got the review done as everyone who saw it saw. Um, dude, they just need a way to add other devices to signal. That is the only thing it is missing for me. And on that note, it'd be cool if it had a camera just so I could take a photo on the go for anything. But I don't even need that. If they had a workaround for signal, I would actually daily drive the phone um, because I realized that for just local use, if I'm just going to the grocery store, if I'm just going to town to do whatever I need to do, I don't need my smartphone. I can literally just bring the punk with me for emergency calls and signal. And then if I ever need to travel and go out of town, that's when I would bring a smartphone with me. That's what I realized my workflow could be. I really wish that signal themselves would develop clients for like lower end simple devices, like basic devices like this, or like even something like the cellular Apple Watch, for example, it'd be nice if there was a signal client on that um, where you could just leave your phone behind, basically. It's very, this is a common complaint with signal though, so I don't expect it to change. It's very phone reliant, obviously, with the phone number requirement, that kind of thing. So it's just, uh, it's a shame they don't go more in that direction because it would be nice to be able to like ditch your phone. And that's very difficult to do if you can't get your messages anywhere else, right? I agree. It's uh, It makes Signal a crutch for my workflow sometimes. Like, I, I really mean that. I didn't realize how much Signal, because you know I love Signal, and I'm going to try to use Signal at almost all costs. But at the end of the day, Signal a lot of times ends up being a crutch for my digital workflow and prevents me from doing certain things. If I used WhatsApp, I would have a million phone options that would really be ideal for me. 
because um, whether or not it's privacy respecting, I at least could get like a feature phone with KaiOS on it, which all of, almost all of them support WhatsApp. Um, and there's also other dumb phones that just only support WhatsApp and things like that. But it's kind of rare to see Signal, which is the real selling point of the Punkt, was a Signal support, which by the way is really cool, but it doesn't support external devices. But it, like you said, it'd be cool if Signal just natively supported more ways for people to integrate with it. Um, honestly, I think if Signal just released a web client, that would probably uh, enable a lot more things to happen with Signal. I don't know how reasonable it could be for them to do that with their current setup, which requires like one dedicated device all the time, pretty much. In what way? Well, we had this issue because I was using Matrix without any devices logged in, ever. And so I would just log into Element on the web when I wanted to check Matrix once a week. But then when you don't have a device uh, that has the, the encryption keys on it permanently, uh, you're not going to be able, like I was getting messages and it's like, you don't have any devices that have a verified encryption key. And so now I keep it installed on my phone. So the phone can always have the encryption key on that phone or within that client. So that way I can always decrypt messages for end-to-end -end encryption going forward. So sure. is that just an end-to-end -end encryption limitation there? Uh, I mean, there's probably ways to work around it, but it does definitely make it more difficult. Yeah. Got to store the key somewhere. It's easy for app developers to assume that you can store it in their app on at least one of your devices instead of like needing to work around that. So I can see why they wouldn't choose to implement like alternative ways to store your keys, but it is annoying in those edge cases for sure. Speaking of, did you see uh, that there were some fake Signal and Telegram apps on the Play Store? I did see that, yeah. And that was definitely cause for concern. Um, that's one of the big things with the Play Store. Like a lot of Play Store advocates in the community like want to tout that like the reason decentralized app stores are supposedly good is because they can block exactly this kind of thing from happening. So the fact that Google doesn't have these safeguards in place apparently, or they're not good enough to prevent this is pretty problematic for sure. I agree. It's uh, Signal was the big one for me. I mean, Telegram, I kind of understand because Telegram allows third-party clients. It's common for there to be third-party clients. And in this specific case, it wasn't even called like Telegram 2, Telegram, you know, it wasn't like a BS name. It was called Flygram. They didn't even try to impersonate Telegram. People would just assume it's a third-party client. But Signal was advertised as Signal Plus Messenger. Right. And I think that I heard it was a targeted malware campaign. So like maybe people would have gotten to that page from like clicking uh, advertisement that just said Signal or something like that and it brought them to Signal Plus. That could definitely get a lot of people if that's on an official Google Play Store page. Right. Yeah, it's unclear. I read the article and it's unclear how targeted it is, but it's definitely targeted towards specific countries. But I don't know if it's like down to individuals or what the situation there is like. But and just a reminder for everyone, make sure when you're downloading apps, check the developers and click like visit developer website. Though in this case, they actually had like fake developer websites that, you know, looked like the real thing and linked back to the app stores. But still, just always double check your apps. Yeah, massive failing on Google's end more than anything, I think. I agree. That's not something people should have to think about when they're downloading an app. Totally agreed. Has Apple had any situations like that? I'm sure they have, but... I Not any off the top of my head I can think of. Uh, I have seen some stories like a year ago or so where there was malware 
um, in the App Store. So they do have these problems. I haven't seen any impersonation issues like the Signal Plus thing. Um, but definitely some malicious apps. So you, you can't just install anything willy-nilly, apparently, regardless of the App Store you choose to use. Seems to be the takeaway. Hmm. No cat. Oh, no, that's... You're sitting on a wire. No, don't play with the wire. Ugh, you fool. Oh, uh, quick check-in. I was thinking of making a video about this, but Google Authenticator still doesn't have end-to-end encryption. Just for people wondering. (laughs) (laughs) So it's still a meme. I kind of figured. Did they say... uh, Now I can't remember. Didn't they say they were going to add it? Yeah. Somebody They said they were going to work on it in the future. Or, like, bring it it. in the future. They didn't give a deadline. They didn't give an estimate. They just said they're going to work on it. I kind of don't think they ever will. Me too. It's kind of a similar situation to, like, meta threads saying that they're going to have Fediverse support. Like, that's something that I don't think is ever going to (laughs) happen. I think people just, people just, these these tech companies want to, like, latch on to the popular technology of the moment, whether that's end-to-end encryption or federation, but... They, there's no, it doesn't make sense from Google's perspective, I think, to add end-to-end encryption to Google Authenticator when none of their other products really work like that. And it doesn't make sense for Instagram threads to connect to the Fediverse because <laughs> why would it? <laughs> right, the, the 1,000 people sense. using it, they're, they're going to really want that. <laughs> right. um, but... I, I, I was thinking, I was walking my dog this morning, and I'm like, it's it's something people have to think about is Google is putting all of their time and energy into pass keys right now. Like, that is where, like, all the attention is. And for those who don't know, like, trying to use TOTP with a Google account for, like, the last several years has been a royal pain in the ass. Like, Google does not want you to use TOTP. I'm actually surprised they even released any update to Google Authenticator, to yeah, be that honest. Yeah, is definitely the most surprising part of the whole thing right i don't think they're going to pour time and resources into developing end-to-end encryption for it so if they do i will gladly welcome it because like i say like you know good improvements regardless of who it comes from is still a good improvement and keeps more people safe and secure but yeah in this situation uh, if you're in google authenticator and you're hoping that they're going to release it i wouldn't keep holding your breath i would move away right now yeah i do have to say from a certain perspective, I do kind of agree with like Google and Apple that pass keys are the future though. Like TOTP is, it, it really is like a stopgap solution and it's not like the best form of 2FA. It was pretty much as good as it got with what we could do at the time, but they're still fishable and they still like, there's still shared secrets that are being communicated between you and the server um, during the initial setup. And pass keys are just like, so clearly to me the best evolution of this technology and the most secure version of 2fa that um i've been really happy to see a lot of services adopting passkeys lately it seems to be really taking off which is fantastic i totally agree and the other side of it too is i think passkeys are easier for people to use than totp i uh, i for sure agree yeah so I think it's a win on all accounts, assuming I know you covered some drawbacks to passkeys in your passkey video, um, like vendor lock-in, uh, which is definitely a concern and something that we should keep tabs on. But uh, overall, I'm with you. So like, I can't also blame Google for the, the move, 
but it does suck that they're leaving so many people behind because I'm sure a lot of people are still using Google Authenticator. And, you know, maybe the overlap is not as big as we think because there's probably not that many people using Google Authenticator in the scheme of things. And of those, the ones who care enough to want end-to-end -end encryption is probably very limited. And even if they rolled it out, they wouldn't roll it out as a default. People would have to like opt in to use end-to-end -end encryption with Google Authenticator. So maybe they wouldn't even have that many users who would use the feature. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure, I don't think it makes any sense for them to do it. I don't think it makes any sense for them to update Google Authenticator at all. I don't know why they did it, but... <laughs> right. You know, whatever. I... Yeah, the vendor lock-in thing is still an issue. Uh, there's an annoying thing. I've been using the iOS 17 beta, which is almost out. And they've removed the ability to use passkeys on your phone unless you enable iCloud keychain password saving, which is really annoying. You used to be able to disable the password autofill in iCloud and still like scan the QR code and save a passkey, which was perfect. But now I have to have both my password manager and iCloud enabled. So every time I fill in a password, it asks me to choose between them. And it always asks me to save passwords to iCloud now, which I don't want to do. It's ridiculous. So why do you think they're moving in that direction? I don't know because they're annoying. <laughs> I've really, I'm really, I'm really annoyed with Apple lately. There's a lot of things that Apple is doing with specifically iCloud keychain and find my email that really bother me every single time that I log into an account. Did you know that if you pay for iCloud plus, there's no way to disable the hide my email feature like on the keyboard. So every time I enter, an email field, like if I try to log into a website, it asks me if I want to create an email address instead of giving me my password autofill so I could fill in the email that I already have from my password manager. <laughs> That's pretty frustrating. It's a lot of just um, frustrating things. The Apple way is just, uh, they, you have to do it their way, and it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a bummer, and I mean... That that's part of the reason why I try my hardest, even if I'm using an Apple device, to not fall into the Apple ecosystem. Because once you're in it, they make it extremely difficult to get away from it. I know you use all the other services too. So I was gonna say, um, I like personally like to use Simple Login instead of like hide my email. You probably don't even use hide my email. You probably still try. No, to I don't. Login. But you can't disable it. <laughs> I so know still, that's what's annoying. It still pops <laughs> up every time. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a big simple login guy. I like, I really like Proton's suite in general. Everything is cool, except no passkey support in Proton Pass, but whatever. <laughs> right. Um, I I think I sent you the email, but we talked at one point about Proton. I think it was during a live stream. We talked about how we were confused. Well, I was confused about the whole Proton Pass and simple login sync integration because I was seeing Proton Pass aliases pop up in Simple Login, but not vice versa. But I did get confirmation from uh, the prior Simple Login CEO, who I think now is technically an employee for Proton. Uh, they, however that is laid out, um, he told me that in the coming soon, they should be adding support for the other direction as well, which is exciting. So you should be able to see Simple Login aliases within Proton Pass as well. So you will have like a unified experience regardless of what you choose to use which is really cool oh i don't know how much you were following the red hat situation uh 
which <laughs> I have to ask which one. So that's not a good kind of sign just the for whole <laughs> saga, the last couple uh-huh. months of Red Hat and Fedora and corporate influence. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like it's it's the culmination of exactly what everybody in that community kind of feared when IBM purchased Red Hat in the first place, uh, like a few years ago. I, I don't know when that was, 2015 or 16, something like that, I think. Um, and for their credit, like they've been operating pretty well for the most part, but a lot of a lot of different problems I've seen from them lately. Um, it all started to go downhill for them when they discontinued CentOS, I think. Right in the middle of like the support cycle for it for some reason. Kind of ridiculous. Right. Do you think that, because um, a lot of the issues with Red Hat have to do with the enterprise side of things, do you think that this is going to impact Fedora in the long run? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Because they're so... Even though like Fedora is a community project, they're so tied together that it's really hard to predict what would happen if like Red Hat wanted to do something with Fedora that the community wasn't into. I don't know like realistically what portion of Fedora is community run and like how it could exist without the support of Red Hat. So I don't know how that would all work out. I don't think that Red Hat has been like trying to force things on Fedora. I haven't seen anything like that as far as I know. So like it doesn't seem like they're interfering with anything currently, but if they just decided to like stop supporting Fedora one day, that could be potentially pretty bad for them. Right. Yeah, I guess that might be a concern long term, but we'll see what happens. What bugs me about it is that there's this common sentiment that exists out there that is the moment the 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 big c word not the bad word the big c word which is company gets involved with open source it's inherently bad which isn't always the case i think that sometimes like something being a company and having money and if they're not completely 100% profit driven and they still care about the community can actually provide a lot of value to something and a lot of these other linux distributions are largely supported by companies uh, we have uh, susa and we have Oracle, we have some other companies as well that have something to do with Linux. And I think that without these companies, there wouldn't be much money in the Linux space, which probably helps the development of Linux as well. So it sucks because this lowers the trust that companies can bring into the Linux world. Yeah, there, <laughs> it's it's really fun. It's You, you want to be able to trust companies, but a lot of the times these companies then do prove you <laughs> prove you wrong and prove that you actually can't um so it is it's definitely frustrating um and yeah it's definitely a bad sign for red hat if you're if you have to bring up oracle as an example of somebody doing something good <laughs> right and just just so <laughs> people shows, know yeah because oracle i'm not like a huge fan of oracle the reason why i brought up oracle is because oracle susa and then ciq uh, have all pretty much gone after Red Hat after the stuff they've been doing to form this Open Enterprise Linux Association. So they're coming out almost as the good guys in this story um, because they formed this Open ELA uh, to, I'm going to quote here, the goal of this new collaborative trade association is to foster the development of distributions compatible with Red Hat Enterprise Linux by providing open and free enterprise Linux source code. So they're pretty much directly going against what uh, 
they're doing. And of course, it's a Delaware U.S. nonprofit association, which I found to be funny. But not to get like too political, but it just reminds me of like <laughs> when people were rooting for Disney World against Ron DeSantis in Florida. <laughs> like his government messed up so bad that people are rooting for a massive corporation to have like unlimited power over their land. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bad situation. Right. Right. You're just picking between the two poisons at that point. Is this... Privacy test has a test my browser button? Yeah, that's new. I was going to say, is that new? That that's that's new. (laughs) We were trying to figure that out. That makes that so much easier. Yeah, we were, like, running our own tests, and you, like, (laughs) I was really struggling. You got some to run, but then we realized if you have JavaScript disabled, then none of them really ran, so... yeah. I'm sure that that's was... still the case with this, but... Well, I don't know. If they made it as easy as pressing a button, I'm kind of... I'll have to test this out with, like, Vivaldi and stuff, because we wanted to test different configurations because of that. I don't know if we talked about that on the channel, or maybe you brought that up in your interview, but, like, people had problems with Vivaldi, like, not being tested with sane defaults. It was just being tested out of the box, that kind of thing, so... Right. I, we started testing it after the interview because I interviewed the Vivaldi CEO, which sparked the whole thing. And That's then Arthur right, yeah. from Privacy Test was like, you guys have terrible defaults. Just fix the defaults and everything will be fine. And the Vivaldi CEO is like, just go through the setup prompt. It's not a big deal. Like, we want to give users controls. I don't think they're ever going to see eye to eye on that. Um, I'm mixed on it, too. I mean, I yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on it myself. But either way, we did eventually get the Vivaldi tests to run. And it still wasn't, like, fantastic, even with the options selected. Um, it was still missing a lot of things that are found in some other browsers. So, um, well, now we can do more tests and see what that looks like. Yeah, super cool. Actually, this could be a good way to do a video. I might just do a video just, like, going through, like, tons of different browser configurations with the Test My Browser tool. Now that I'm not going to struggle on every test to just get it to run. <laughs> <laughs> right dang it i should have uh, beat you to that i should have made my own video when i was the only one that could do it <laughs> obviously i just released the video but uh i'm sure you saw uh jitsi i'm guessing jitsi had moderation issues they weren't really talking too much about what happened but i assume moderation issues and now you only have like three registration options that are all through companies that most of the privacy community just can't stand Interesting. Uh, I I didn't look too much into that. I just saw your video on it show up in my YouTube feed. So I'll right. have to look at. Long story short, doing. it's just the main Jitsi Meet instance. Like they're the one that they host. I think uh, is it eight by eight is the parent company of Jitsi. They have their own uh, instance that they host, Meet.Jitsi, and that's the only one. So you click like join, and it's like, well, to create this meeting, you have to be a moderator. To be a moderator, you have to log in with either Google, Facebook, or GitHub. Those are your only three options. You can't register, you can't use anything else. And I was suggesting, and other people have suggested, maybe something like simple login um, would be good there as well as a sign-in option at, at minimum. But yeah, kind of a bummer, but there's like a million other instances as well. So, oh, um, Fairphone 5 has some details. I don't know if you saw those. I didn't see that, but I think I feel like I heard they were going to launch in the U.S.? They like, there's launched a USA version. the Fairphone 4 through the U.S. via some third-party company that flashes the phones with EOS. Oh, that's right. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. So I haven't right. seen anything about the Fairphone 5 yet. 
what do you in think the about article it? they said it was they said still they're only going to release eu launch originally so i don't think they're planning a u.s launch at least at first that is uh that's a shame i feel like even the fairphone 4 doesn't support like certain cell bands that are used in the u.s so i think it's not a good option even if you can obtain it and i wonder if I guess if they're only launching in the EU, I wonder if the Fairphone 5 would be any different. We'll see. I mean, it's not that bad. Uh, they're selling it in the US, and I think definitely some carriers are supported. I haven't seen which bands aren't supported, but like you can definitely have a Fairphone in the US and get a cell carrier for it. I just don't know the nuance there. We'd have to look into it more. It'd be really nice if they just officially launched in the US. I, I, <laughs> You know, I feel like I kind of gave them a, a pass, like the first three phones or something, but like your five phones in, there's clearly a lot of consumer demand for a US Fairphone. I don't know why they don't do it. I, I guess I'm just curious about what the obstacle is for them. Because if, if they had a reason that made sense, then it'd, be, then it'd be fine. But I don't think they've said why, just that they haven't done it yet, as far as I know. I'm not sure either. I reached out to them just for a review unit and they would not send me one and i eventually did get a fairphone 4 but that was because yoda os was nice enough to send us a review unit that we used for the yoda os review and that's really it like they were just nice enough to send it themselves so if anyone like it's the same thing if just a random person had a fairphone 4 and shipped it to us which happens like that's how i got a librem 5 which i still have to review because Purism didn't want to send me one. And when they did, I asked for a refund because like, that's the only right thing to do anymore with this company. And now I'm six months into waiting for my refund. Um, but someone else ended up sending me the phone anyway. So it was really nice of them. Insane. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'll have to wait for your review. I'm sure they were fine to get rid of it. I doubt it was any their like favorite that's phone what, they've ever that's used. That's what they said. They said pretty much. And that's the same thing. Like I ended up getting a Pine phone as well. And the reasons were it's just kind of collecting dust. Like I'm not using this thing, which is probably the reality for most people nowadays. I actually, you, you would like this. So in the Punk review, the Punk has nothing on it. There's like no real internet connectivity except for Signal on the device and to update the operating system. Those are the two points that it connects to the internet. Someone left a comment saying, might as well just buy a Pine phone because they are going to be like pretty much the same and the Pine phone gives you a little bit more control. And I'm, and they pretty much said like, and you get to support a Linux company. I thought it was an interesting point because A, like they're kind of right. Like they're both like extremely minimal. Um, and they kind of currently fulfill the same use case. But what I think they got wrong, and I left them a comment, and they responded, and they're like, ooh, that's an interesting point. So it was a very good, weirdly productive YouTube comment thread, which is rare. Um, but what I said was, the, the thing is, with Linux phones, their long-term goal isn't to be a minimal dumb phone. The long-term goal with Linux phones, I think for most of these manufacturers, is to have a competitive smartphone. So we can avoid iOS and Android. So I think the fact that these Linux phones just happen to be comparable to like this dumb phone is just a shortcoming that currently exists. And that's not where they want to be. I don't think they want to stay here. So just right. So we need to see Linux phones develop over time. And I think that my review is going to be like, hey, we really need to like taper expectations for this because I don't think many people can daily drive a Linux phone right now. I don't think I can daily drive a Linux phone right now, but I'll see. 
Absolutely not. I mean, that is something that I do like about the Pine Phone a lot, that they're very, unlike purism, they're very clear about who it's intended for, that kind of thing. Whereas purism is like basically scamming people, in my opinion. <laughs> right. You know, Pine, like, pure, pure, no, Pine 64, not, not Pure 64, but uh, Pine 64, they straight up say when you buy the phone, like, this is for development purposes. Uh, we recommend this for developers. They even call them development kits, I think, sometimes. Um, or all of them. Some but other they... products. Uh, I, I, was, I was just looking at that. They do say it's for early adopters now, as opposed to, like, I think their watch says it's for developers or something. So I guess they're moving on slightly, but it's still, like, in big red letters. Like, this is not for... <laughs> everyday users right and they're upfront about it like i've been in contact with some of the pine 64 team members and even behind the scenes they're like hey don't expect that much from this like this is not like necessarily for end users yet like we're just working on this versus purism i never heard back from um from like a tech lore perspective like they did get back to me when i personally requested a refund for the device i bought myself um but it was really just to say we'll refund you someday someday um, and like you said, on the website, they don't warn you when you buy a Librem 5 that this is like not something you can probably daily drive. And it's not that comparable to soft, to other smartphones on the market. Um, though, if you bother to look at the specs, that should probably give you a hint as well. <laughs> 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 though, speaking of specs, the Fairphone 5, just to piss you off for today, is I think like a six and a half inch display. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no avoiding these gigantic phones for some reason. Sorry, I'm just looking at Purism's site, and the first thing you see is the Librem 5 is back in stock and available. Big banner right at the top of the page. <laughs> sure it is. I'm sure if you order one right now, you'll get it within two weeks. The regular model, not the USA over $2,000 model. They release an even more expensive one. I know, the Liberty phone. <laughs> Literally... <sighs> Out of stock, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, it says available again in August. So now that it's September, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe insane, they mean dude. next August. It'll take a whole year. <laughs> oh my god, they're crazy. <laughs> Anyways, what were you saying about the Fairphone? Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, I was just complaining about screen size and it's ridiculous. Oh, oh yeah, I don't mind large phones existing. You know, like, I understand the older generation struggles to see things. They want bigger devices. Some people who are at home a lot and want extra screen real estate, or maybe they want to use their phone for watching movies. I get it. But why is every freaking phone the same size? Why is every phone between 6.2 and 6.5 inches nowadays? And now, like, phones that are just 6 inches are considered small phones. Like... And now that Apple discontinued the 13 mini, there's literally no more small phones. I'm really worried about, I guess we'll see on September 12th, but I'm really worried about the next generation of, of uh, iPhones because I've, I've seen a lot of rumors about the, a new iPhone Ultra where I think they're going to be making like their best phone and it'll only be available in like the largest size. And Apple, because, like, even though they discontinued the mini, Apple has been pretty good about, like, making their pro phones and their normal phones exactly the same in terms of features, except for the screen size. Like, you can get a 14 Pro and a 14 Pro Max, and they're pretty much the same phone. 
And they've done that almost every year. I think the 7 and the 12 were the only years where the big phone was better. But maybe we'll be we'll be back on that trend where you have to get the biggest phone to get the best phone that they're making. Right. I hope they stop this nonsense, dude. I hope they bring back a SE in like the 13 mini form factor. That would be wonderful. That's what I'm hoping for, too. If they do that and it has USB-C, man. Woo! I know. Oh, boy. I, I'm really Woo! excited to see what they do with that with that port. couple Me weeks. Too. Right. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm I've still s- like 50-50 on it. I don't know if they'll do USB-C. <laughs> we'll see, man. We'll see. I'm, I've am i said this before to you, and I'll say it like on, on video, formally. If Apple releases another small iPhone, similar or if not the same form factor as the 13 mini with USB-C, I'm going to buy it new right away. I don't care what the context is. All I want to do is signal to Apple that people want this phone like that's really it that's the only reason i want to buy it because i'm so desperate and i really want to see small phones stay around i am i'm so tired of seeing no options and now that apple discontinued theirs thank goodness the asus zenfone rumors turned out not to be true at least as of right now because there was rumors that the asus zenfone was going to be discontinued as well and then asus came forward and said no that's not true we hope to still continue the asus zenfone lineup so that seems to be safe for now, but the fact it was in question is already a cause of concern, I think. Yeah. So. It must just be a really, like, vocal minority that wants small phones, I guess. Or these companies are lying about it. <laughs> Maybe. But that's valid. When you have every smartphone literally look and be exactly the same form factor and everyone kind of conforms to that concept the people who don't want that are going to be a vocal minority because that's all companies are giving us all they're giving us is big obnoxious smartphones and some people don't want a big obnoxious smartphone they want something just small that fits in their pocket that they just use for a few things and they don't need it to do much i think that there's probably a lot of overlap between like the digital minimalist people and the small device people because a lot of times like you see kind of the buzzwords that are stated in like 13 mini reviews or just like budget-friendly people of just like, this is all I need for a phone. And, and and that's kind of it. It comes from this minimalist mentality of like, I don't need anything more than this. I just want a small phone. It's cheaper than the other ones. Um, and it's easier to carry around. And I prefer the form factor because it's just easier to navigate. So. Absolutely. Uh, Apple needs to think different is what they need to do. They do need to think different. <laughs> Although, all that being said, I do kind of wonder if Apple's answer to the small phone people and the digital middle digital middle I can't even speak digital minimalist people um is like the cellular Apple Watch. It feels like they're pushing that feature a lot more and I wonder if that's their vision and that's why they're discontinuing the mini phones. But I I guess I can't really speak to why to to what their vision is. But it seems like that's what they're pushing towards kids for sure nowadays they're pushing that for older adults now that was like a big new thing i think in one of the most recent versions of watch os um so that seems to be the demographic they're targeting with that but there's no signal client so obviously that could never be a solution signal (laughs) right good point i got somewhere to be um but at least we got something recorded and i can get this up and Everyone here can finally get 
a little caught up on where we've been the last couple of months and the things that we've seen. Yeah. We've seen so much. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, thank you, Jonah, for hopping on the call. Uh, Jonah has his own YouTube channel. Go check it out. I just um, made another video. <laughs> you did, and it's about non-binary RAM. <laughs> I'm really overtaking your 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 personal channel that you right, have as well right. that people can check out. <laughs> I don't know if you want to send people there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. If people want to check it out, they can. It's just like random crap. Um, right. But yeah, uh, definitely, if you like what we're doing here, patreon.com slash techlore is a way to support uh, this podcast and other techlore content and keep us spreading resources to more and more of you. I also want to thank all of you for tuning in and uh, just enjoying privacy and enjoying security and tuning in and uh, making it a part of your life in any way shape or form to take back some of your digital safety and uh, just take a little bit more control of your, over your life so uh, thank you for keeping yourself safe and the people around you safe and helping spread the word to more and more people and yeah uh, we also support liberpay monero kofi whatever is it kofi or coffee i don't know uh but yeah whatever you want we probably support it check it out down below join our forum at discuss.techler.tech and we'll see you next time on techler talker Tech Lord Talks 13. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs>